Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you uh, for everything that you do for us. But in this particular case, we thank you for the example of the Israelites. And Lord, they were so discontent. And we know that they are a reflection of us, that we don't seem to be content. We would ask, Lord, that as we learn about them and their struggles, their trials, that you would help us to learn their lessons and take them with us, that we don't have to repeat their trials in order to learn what it is you have for us. And we thank you for the grace that you not only extended to them, but you give to us as well. And Lord, help us to extend that grace to others, that when they come and encounter anyone from this body, that they would know that your grace and your mercy is alive, it is active in us, and we wish to extend it to others. And give us wisdom in doing so, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the chapter that has the song that we sang, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider fell into the sea. And that song, as I said in the weeks past, is a song, it's just jubilant. It is fantastic. It is over the top. When they realized that God had taken the Egyptians, the army that was coming in after them in the parting of the Red Sea, and God calls the, calls the water to fall back onto them and completely destroys them, and the bodies of the Egyptians roll up onto shore, they just start rejoicing. And it is really the first big corporate worship uh, that the Israelites are involved in. And later on, they're going to go through this covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and they're going to get the Ten Commandments. But at this point, it just breaks out spontaneously because they have seen what the Lord has done. And we want to make sure that we don't miss those times when the Lord is acting, that we just don't even recognize it, that we just turn it away, that it's not really a big event and we chalk it up to coincidence. You know, for them, this wasn't coincidence. Mo- Moses told them what was going to happen after God told Moses what was going to take place. And then they saw God actually act in this, and they saw the miraculous, the waters parting and the wall on each side and the pillar of smoke. And later it's a pillar of fire at night and how God lit the way as they were walking through the wilderness. All of these things gave them cause to rejoice. But in our quote-unquote mundane lives where we have everything taken care of and we have a hard time recognizing the miraculous, how God moves in our lives. I just heard a testimony. I listened to uh, uh, K-Love and Air One Radio from time to time, and a woman called up, and she said she put an ad into, I think it was Craigslist or something, for a specific car, a specific van, a specific color, a specific model and everything that they wanted in it and they got ready to post it and then somebody actually provided and purchased for them that same van, the same model, the same everything that they were getting ready to post. And you think that's just coincidence? That is not coincidence. That's how God provides for us. And he said, he has said, 
that he will continue to provide for us. And we don't have to worry. You guys know Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It talks about not worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worry all of its own. We worry about what we're going to wear or what we're going to eat. And we don't have a check coming in or we get fired from our business. Like uh, in El Cajon, that hometown buffet, it just closed down one day and all these people lost their jobs. And the people that would go there on a regular basis, they lost their inexpensive restaurant. And now, now what are we going to do? Where are we going to go now? You know, is someplace going to be less expensive? And what's the person going to do that lost their job? There was no notice whatsoever. And, of course, there's laws for that stuff that you're supposed to give a notice, but no notice was given. If you were in that particular position, the people that were going through that, they have to trust in God or they have to trust in their own might. And often our own might fall short. And this is what God was trying to teach the Israelites. The Israelites, when they came out, what did they have to do? Watch. That's it. Watch, get your stuff, and go. God did everything else. He subdued the Egyptians. He parted the Red Sea. He brought them on the other side and and carried them over to Mount Sinai. He did everything. He provided for them water. He provided for them bread as we get into chapter. 16 we'll see that but when Moses and the Israelites saw what God had done in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 15 it reads like this then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted the horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea the Lord is my strength and my song he has become my salvation by the way that's another scripture song right there we used to sing it back in the 1880s uh, when, the, when we had scripture songs. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. The greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. The surging water stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead. In the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? By the way, I I think uh, verse 11, if you remember the imperials, they had a song about this. The Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Um, Also, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will seize, be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. And of course, Moses knew that God wanted to take the Israelites to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And he's singing about this, anticipating that this is going to happen. And by the way, this is all of a, a song. It's kind of like a ballad, um, so to speak. 
But they're out there and they're just singing away. And the, you have to get a view of the, sing, of the scene out there. Moses isn't just standing up like a soloist at an opera. The people are just going wild and they're listening to what he has to say. And it is prophetic in nature. After all, Moses was a prophet and he was singing about the wonderful works of God. But by the power of your arm, they will be blessed as a stone. Or excuse me, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by. O Lord, until the people you brought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. In verse 19, when Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Now, as I said last week, did she have a tambourine on her side, just ready to go? Was she prepared for worship? And the family, you have Moses, who is a prophet, you have Miriam, who is a prophet, and you have Aaron, who is the high priest, and eventually he would have the Urim and the Thummim, and that was a plate that would be up here, that he, uh, the breastplate that he would have, and it would have stones, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and it is said that on those 12 stones, you would have the name of each one of the tribes inscribed on each one of the stones, and when they wanted to know what the will of the Lord was, it is said that he would go in and he would worship in the temple and offer sacrifice just outside of the temple and as he would do that this breastplate would light up the letters would light up as to what the will of the Lord was and they would just kind of write it down and they would find out what the will of the Lord was. Now, if it happened that way, I'm not sure, but that's what some of the scholars, if you go back to some of the rabbis, that's what they talk about, and that's how God directly spoke to them. And, of course, there was no king over them. There was just this prophet and this priest that was there and this this prophetess that was there, and it was the whole family. What a blessing to have the whole family as believers in the Lord. There are so many families where one person gets saved, And the rest are atheists or agnostics or they claim to be Christians, but there is no fruit in their lives. You can't point to them and say, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to be convicted as a Christian if they get caught. If they were over in the Middle East, they would be killed because of their witness for Jesus Christ. There's no question about this. If they were in the tribulation, they would lose their head just like the Antichrist is going to take off the heads of those who don't take the mark of the beast and who worship Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 says they are under the altar. And so this idea of having an entire family there is strength in an entire family that believes in the lord and they were all unified now as a church body hopefully we have that same unification on all the doctrines but even in a regular family for instance in my family i have an Henri agnostic i have a brother that was kind of catholic kind of not he really doesn't go to church i have another brother he's an elder in a church i had my mom she took us to church until we were about five but my father never went to church and my father said i went forward when i was 13 but he never returned again 
And then when I got saved, I told them all they're going to hell. And of course, they appreciated all that. But then <coughs> I started going to church and I got involved. I go, this is, this is life. This is the message. And I pleaded with them. You've got to see this. And we were all just kind of doing our own thing. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> A little Kermit in my throat here. <coughs> and so it may be the same thing with your family as well. That you're not unified <clears throat> that maybe your children, they're, yeah, we believe in God, but, you know, it's your church. Yeah, I don't go to another church right now. It's, you know, it is what it is. I'm having too much fun. You know, the millennials out there, that's all they do. And by the way, I have to tell you this as a side note. Yesterday, I was uh, driving by Lindelay Park, and I was going by the skate park there. I always go by the skate park. I'm, I'm there sometimes two or three times a day, depending on which day it is. And as I'm driving by, there are always kids there. Always. It's never empty unless it's raining or it's at night. And even at night, I've gone by and there's headlights shining into the park and they are riding in the park. They, I mean, it is a hangout. As I'm driving by... Yesterday, the first time I see this girl, and this girl, I'm guessing she's 14, and she's sitting on the back deck lid of a vehicle, and there are two boys, I'm guessing they're 16 to 18. They're standing right in front of her, and the one is leaning over, and he's lighting a glass pipe for this girl. Now, that's one of two things maybe three things. It could be pot. It could be crystal meth. It could be crack. And she's 14 if she's a day over 14. And my heart just sank, you know, and I drove by and I I just, I felt horrible. I was gone for an hour I came back the same way and she was puffing on the pipe again as I came back and she was doing it right next to the street it wasn't being hit she was right on the end of the car that had pulled in the guy was putting up the lighter uh, to the glass pipe and those kids they need direction and you know as a church family if we're unified uh, I can't always do it but I'm, I'm thinking about well maybe we can get labels on small bottles of water And on those labels, on one side, put Calvary Chapel. On the other side, put the gospel or put some encouraging words and hand it out to them and just start opening up a a way to dialogue with the kids, just passing out the water. And they may say, well, why are you handing this out? You know, is there poison in it or something like that? Just, no, you can open one up and you can drink it right there. But we need to be reaching out. And, but that requires the body to be unified, to have one purpose, to say, well, that's our mission field. It's right there. It's not only in Cambodia. It's not only in Jerusalem, but it's also in Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're supposed to go everywhere. And maybe you should start praying about, well, how can I be involved with that? What can I do? And, well, they would never listen to me. You'd be surprised. Uh, kids, if they would listen or not. But if we're unified in this effort, God can do great things. And I don't know what the Lord wants to do. I'm, I'm kind of praying about it, how he wants us to reach out over there. But to be unified is the goal. Now, the Lord, he took the Israelites and kept them together, kind of like 
I want to say a beehive. They were all there. Now they sent out the spies and they checked out the land and they came back. And there was probably a few that went out to some other places, but they had always come back. And they were a unit of people and it took 40 years to unify them because they were not unified. And Miriam here, she is unified with her brother. She, she picks up the song where Moses left off. Moses probably started singing prophesying and Miriam goes this is it and she goes and gets her musical instrument and she tells all the ladies get your tambourines come on ladies let's go and they probably had their finger uh, symbols going off too and whatever else they had and they just it was spontaneous worship and that's what worship needs to be like worship first is personal yeah, it's corporate too. We get involved in it corporately. I can't tell you what a blessing it is when we sing a song and we hear you. Have you ever heard some of these live um, renditions of songs that some of these artists do? They stop singing. And then the group that is in front of them, they pick it up. That's because it, it's such a blessing to hear it. And then when you hear the body itself singing and we just kind of drop back, it is fantastic. And it's all being lifted to the Lord, but it's personal. It means we have a response. First, it was Moses. Then it was Miriam. Then it was the ladies. And it was a whole congregation of the Israelites that just started worshiping. And it's a response that we have. But in order to have the response... We have to see God work in some way, whether it's in our heart or whether it's in the life of somebody else who is out there. And namely, it it comes from the inside. It is personal. Moses says here, I will sing unto the Lord. And so it was coming from his heart. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Now, when we're playing a song up here, there's so many things that we can be concerned about. If your relationships are not going right, do you think that there were problems between the Israelites, the two to three million that were coming out of Israel? Get your cart away from us. You keep on getting too close. And your animals, you know, would you pick up after them already? You know, something like, I'm sure there was bickering going on between them. And where's little Johnny? He's around here somewhere. I don't know where he is. Oh, he's probably up with the other 100,000 over there. And that just could have been mayhem. But then it all stopped and the response was unified to God. And it was personal and that's how Moses carried it out and worship is a response to God if we understand what God has done and you never worship like for instance let me ask you this and no show of hands or anything do you worship during the week do you have a song that gets in your head and will not leave last night actually I was coming home from work and uh I had heard this song on Caleb, and I love this song. And it's by Plum, and it's How Many Times, and it's just such a great song. And so as I was finishing up my message last night, I went on to YouTube. And you know, if you type in repeat before you type YouTube, it will constantly just keep on repeating. I must have listened to it 50 times. I do that. I obsess over a song. Oh, it's just so great, you know. And, and I'm typing away, and then I would stop a little bit, and I'd just listen, and I, I would say, oh, it's so good. 
and we need to be listening to worship. We have this opportunity. Now, I like to listen to all kinds of things, but I want to listen. Or I want you guys to be aware that we should be listening to the Christian radio out there. We should be listening to 102.1 and 100.1 for the worship. You can listen to 1210. You can listen to 107.9. You can listen to uh, 96.9 and 88.9. You can listen to all those radio stations, and you will either be getting a message, a word of encouragement, a a word of worship. But if you turn it, you know, to 98.1, easy listening. This is art good coming to you at 9 o'clock. At and it talks like that. You know, you listen to that and you go, oh, yeah, this is good jazz, man. You know, hey, whatever. You need to turn your focus spiritually. You know, if you're listening to that stuff for a reason, it's good. But you you got to focus on Christ. It is a response. And God wants us to live that way 24-7. We're to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord and sing song and spiritual songs to one another. That means when you come up, you shouldn't be saying, hi, how you doing? You should extend your arm and say, I will sing unto the Lord for he has. And you grab them and you hug them and you do something like that. And the people will think you're crazy, but that's okay. The Lord's people are a peculiar people. It's totally fine. And they will go, wow, that person really loves the Lord, don't they? Yeah. And that's how we're supposed to be betrayed. Now, I, I don't want you to go wacko out there and everybody that's not a believer starts singing to them like that because they go, what did they do at that church? That's got to be a cult over there. So it's a response. We have this response to the Lord. We have to have it dwelling in our hearts. We have to recall the words of the Lord, his word. We need to hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. Now, not every sing, the song we sing moves you i get that not every song i sing moves me you know but sometimes i sing it and then sometimes people request songs and i go okay you know and i i put it on there and it's whatever it's what the people would like to hear it's what's uplifting for them and so we do it for each other and if you can't get behind the song get behind the words Now, all the words that we had in these songs today, they are God-focused, and we try to do that. And when we realize that the songs aren't really God-focused, well, we, okay, we'll put that one to the side. There's so many songs that aren't. And so we want to keep our focus on God, on his word, on singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. If you do that on a regular basis, will you be sad and down? Sometimes. But for the most part, you're going to be up. You're going to be trusting in God. You're not going to let the circumstances of this life overwhelm you. And the Israelites, unfortunately, were doing this. Now, worship is also declarative. What does that mean? You have to open your mouth, right? If somebody doesn't know you're worshiping God, it's because you're not doing anything. If you told people you're going to church and they say, so what do you do there? Well, you know, there's a message, there's a sermon, there's some encouragement, there's some fellowship, and and we sing. Really, what do you sing? I will sing unto the Lord. And you just bust into it, you know, and however you want to do it. You say, you know, it's a great time. And the Lord ministers to us by his spirit. There are times uh, when any worship leader will be up and he'll be able to sing or she'll be able to sing and they can just close their eyes and go, wow, God, this is all you. Just as I would instruct you, don't focus on us. What are they wearing today? 
Are they looking cute today? Is he handsome today? Oh, what's going on with the guitar? How fast is he strumming that thing? What color is his pick? Now, you're going to do all that when we get up there. But you're focusing on us. And we would tell you, don't focus on us. Focus on the Lord. Well, the same thing happens with us. You should see you when we're worshiping up here. You know, and, and we do, no, no, just focus on the Lord. Focus on the words. Focus on who he is. And that's what we need to do. We need to have this declaration that it is he who is the one who is high and lifted up and his train has filled the temple. We talk about what God has done and what he has done for us and how we have been redeemed. All of these things are in worship. And also worship is exclusive. Now, in our day and age, um, I'm going to give you an example. In our day and age, as a society, there is a tendency to worship things in our creation. Uh, To give you a specific example, on one of the blogs that I go to, they're always posting things about dogs and cats. And it is almost like they are being worshipped. Now, I know that they're cutesy and they get a lot of uh, enjoyment to the individual that has them and I have been a dog owner my entire life except for the past couple of years and they are wonderful companions but I know people that are so into their pets and they don't give a rip about God and it has become their idol or it can be their hobby that becomes their idol and worship is exclusive you know on wednesdays in el cajon have you been on main street there by por favor restaurant and magnolia do you guys know what takes place there (laughs) it is the worship of the vehicles you know and not for all it's a it's a hobby you know i think for most who are there but they have these vehicles that are restored and they are nice cars, vintage cars that are up there and some of them are souped up and every once in a while you have one that's, man, why don't you paint that thing and get rid of the rust? You know, oh, it's old, it's a classic. Yeah, it's a, whatever, you know, and you see those vehicles out there and there are some people, that is their life. That's what they do and they don't care about God. I've known people who are into these um, model airplanes that fly And they're over by Cactus Park. They have a whole runway over there. And some people do it as a hobby. And Lord bless them in that. But then there are others that, my planes, you know, and that is their object of worship. And God says, don't. It's okay to have pursuits. It's totally fine to do that. But make sure you know that only God is the one who we are to worship. It is exclusive. And Moses did not worship any longer the gods of Egypt he is the one that worshiped the one true God and for ourselves even in Christendom is there worship of those who are not God yes there are religions that make that mistake and specifically there are those and I have witnessed it personally in the Catholic religion and not all Catholics do this but I have seen people just stay at statues of Mary and touch them and pray over them and bow to them and that is nothing but idol worship and it is not to be encouraged in any way nor any of the saints we are not to do that in any way 
but we are to focus our worship on God. Now, if you want to use that as something to look to and say, wow, that was a great saint, that's totally fine to do that, but not to worship. Our worship is exclusive. And then with our worship, it's emotional or emotive. What does that mean? Let me ask you something. If you knew of a young girl, a woman, who had been proposed to, and the man gets out there and he has this ring and he sets everything up and he gets down on one knee and he gives the ring to the girl. Could you imagine her going, what? Have you seen those? Have you seen those little videos? Like on the basketball courts? Where the guy, he interrupts the whole basketball game at halftime. He comes down with his ring. He arranges it with the arena. He, he gets down at half court, brings out his girlfriend, proposes to her. She puts her hands up like this and walks away. Doesn't accept the proposal. There are several videos like that if you haven't seen them. Now, imagine our bridegroom coming to us and he offers us salvation and we go, what? We never express any emotion. There, there are some of these little videos. If you watch them, you'll be a blubbering slob just watching these things, how uh, much effort that these men go to in order to uh, tell the bride that they're loved. You know, And the, the women, they emote. They have this emotion. They cry, and sometimes they just cannot contain it. I have seen some of those where the women just drop, and it is uncontrollable for them. It just comes out, and that's what worship is to be like. It, it is to be in passion. It is to be affecting. It should be touching. It should elicit some kind of response. Now, in Christendom, there's a whole range of responses. There is the raising of the hands, which I want to encourage you guys, you know, in our songs, we can raise our hands. It's okay. You know, when the Israelites prayed, they prayed like this. You imagine that? You go to some churches and they start praying like this to God. You go, what is he doing? And get all uncomfortable. You know, some people raise their hands. So you have the individual that will sit there and they will just have a sense of peace and joy on the inside. And then there's others that are running up and down the aisles when worship is going on. I, I get it, but it should elicit some type of response because we're focused on God. We're not focused on ourselves. And also, I believe worship is to be audible. We're, we're to open up our mouths. We're to sing to the Lord. We're to make a joyful noise unto God. Christians should have a song in their hearts. We're to worship, and it's supposed to be a happy experience. Sometimes it can be soulful. Sometimes we can get a, a feeling of melancholy that comes in, especially when we realize our own sinfulness. This idea of repentance needs to come in. But at this particular time with Moses and with his sister Miriam, it was a time of rejoicing. And that's what God calls us to. We worship a wonderful, glorious, and happy God, C.H. Uh, Spurgeon said. And we know that he created laughter. He created joy, all of these things. And worship is alive. We are to be worshiping with our lives. 
Now, what do you mean by that? It means your life is to be offered as a living sacrifice unto God. When the Israelites worshiped, they brought a sacrifice. We are to bring ourselves. What does that mean exactly? It means you're committed. It means you show up. It means you give your heart and soul to the individuals. And I I don't want to say you give it to the ministry. You give it to the people. That is your act of worship. And so worship is not just a song that is sung. It's much more than that. And so we are to be participants in that. Now going on in verse 22, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah or Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? A couple of things here. If you look at most Bible maps, you will see that along the Mediterranean, as you go from Egypt over here in Africa and you go up the coast of the Mediterranean towards Canaan or towards Israel, there's a place that's called the land of Shur. Now, I have a problem with that. It may, in fact, be called the land of Shur, but the part of the Red Sea that the Israelites crossed is not up there. And several people say it's in the northwest corner of the Sinai Peninsula. It can't be if they crossed over in the Gulf of Aqaba because they went over to Arabia that has Mount Sinai, and that's the part of the Red Sea that would have closed up. You can even see the beachhead from satellite, how two to three million people could have fit there. It's this little white dot that is on there if you get a satellite photo. And so the land of Shur, where uh, Moses led these people and later on to Elam, where God led them, it would have to be over in Arabia. So if you look at uh, the peninsula of the Sinai there and you get confused, well, wait a second, it's more up towards the Mediterranean. Well, they crossed down below, so they would have had to go all the way back towards Egypt and then all the way back towards Arabia, and that just doesn't work. So I don't want you to be confused about that. My opinion is this land, and you will see some maps that have it, the land assure is over in Arabia. And some people also put uh, Elam over in the Sinai Peninsula, and I believe it is on the other side. And when they came to Mara, what did they do? They complained, right? Here they go. They have been complaining the whole time. It would be better to have died in Egypt. In verse 25, then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, I, I, I don't know any wood that you can throw into brackish water or bitter water that purifies it. I have no idea. And you can only speculate as to why God said, go pick up that stick over there and throw it in the water over here. And then it just has this purifying effect. And it was probably instantaneous, probably just went through the water. I don't know of any wood that can do that. It was, I think, in my opinion, a miraculous thing. And God wanted the people to see Moses actually do something to purify the water, to give him standing amongst the people that they would rely on him. But Moses was always pointing to God. 
He didn't take any of the glory for himself. He is always pointing to God. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Now, at this particular point, they're probably going, it's about time we got to some place where we can kind of just relax. How many springs were there? Twelve. You think that's by accident? How many tribes were there? Twelve. And there were 70 palm trees. They could get underneath all the palm trees, all the people. They could have the shade. It was a wonderful environment. But God was bringing to this point of testing the Israelites so that they would have a chance to see God work again. Now, the enemy was overcome They had a time at the Red Sea, which was done. They were three days on the run, and they went to uh, Mara or Marah. And from this point, they arrived at Elam. Now, how long did they survive without water? Three days. I did some research into this. It says you can live three minutes without air in a harsh environment. If it's snowing and it's harsh outside, you can live three hours out there on average. After three days, you need water or you will perish, and you can make it three weeks without food. Now, some people will exceed this. Uh, Some others say if you're at just an average temperature, you can last 100 hours without water. But I guarantee you, your kidneys and your liver, your internal organs are all going to suffer at that particular point And if you survive, it will probably be miraculous. So what did God do? Three days, you're going to walk in this desert. And you're not going to have any water. What do you think about that? And the people were, great. I thought God let us out of here to save us. Brought them up to the last moment. Now, what do you think about the kids? Mommy, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. And there's no water whatsoever. So God says, right at the last minute, here it is. And it was a test for them. He tested them as far as their faith. He took them to some brackish water, some water that was bitter. He said, look at that. What do you think about that? And the Israelites going, oh, this is terrible. And they started to complain. And he goes, Moses, throw the stick in. And so it was miraculously healed. The waters were healed at that point. And then it would have been that the people would say, wow, God's taking care of us again. How about that? Maybe we should remember these things. It's a difficult road to the land of promise. Temptation to reminisce of better times in Egypt. Have you ever been a Christian and said, it was so much easier when I was an unbeliever. Now, I would say committed Christians have said that. If somebody is not a committed Christian, they're probably not going to say that too often. The more active and involved somebody is in serving the Lord and giving their ways to him, their heart to him, they're going to suffer the most. And there's this temptation to just give up. Like, why does it have to be so hard? You know, if you're involved in ministry, and there are many people here that are, they get up before most everybody else. They do more work, more than anybody else. They do it without complaining. And by the way, in ministry, it is so easy to complain. I'm I'm going to give you an example of my job. You know, I'm a... I'm a tender of the plants, for those of you who don't know. I'm a gardener, is what I am. 
I can build walls and stuff. I'm licensed to do that. But, you know, I, I garden. And all the time, people just take their trash and they see a landscape. They go, my trash can. And they throw it into the landscape. And the Lord has always used it as a test for me. And I see it there and I go, why? Why? I mean, there's a, even when you see a trash can right there, it doesn't make it there. And then I have um, these wonderful pet owners. You know, they, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. They will go by the church and their dog will do their business. And they just move on. And I get out there and I'm mowing and... You know, and I look down and like scrape that thing along. And you know what I do? I go up to the cameras. Who was it? And I look on the computer. There's the camera because we have cameras. And I look at the camera. There you are. And I think, now, Bill, be nice, you know. And so I want to see who it is that's just being so irresponsible. And I know that when you guys come here, you know, I, I like to have it cleaned up out there. And, and so it, it's, you know, Popeye, remember he used to talk under his breath. I get out there and rick a snicker, I mean, you know, and I'm picking that stuff up and it's, oh, it's just horrible. I don't have to describe to you what it's like. And, you know, I, I want to say something. And yesterday I got this big brain tease. I know. I'm going to put a sign on the fence. You know, something that dogs aren't going to heaven. You know, or just something like that. And they're unclean, you know, and just put a sign up there. And by the way, we're watching you have a nice day. Look at the camera behind you. And, and I, you know, and I go, no, I can't do any of that. I am just supposed to be a servant. Now, if I can talk to the people, I should talk to them and just say, you know, could you please do this? There was actually one time I talked to a guy out here because he did that. And I saw him and just so happened the next morning, I was just across the way pulling up and I see him out there and he sees me. We make eye contact afterwards and I drive by and I go, Buddy, you're killing me. What are you doing? You know? And he goes, oh, man. And I just, all right, whatever. And I just drove off. And so there's every reason to complain. That's just my job. That's not even the ministry. We can complain about so many things that are out there. And how often does God bring us to this test? This is what he did with the Israelites. Do you believe that God can lead you into difficult places on purpose? He does, and that's what he did to the Israelites. He moved them around and said, here's a test for you. How are you going to do? Watch me deliver you. And that is God's grace at work. He will take us to this particular point. And by the way, he does this because there's no other way to perfect us. That is it. You have to go through the trials so God will show himself faithful so you will rejoice and worship and that's what Moses and Miriam were doing it was their response to God the only thing is you have to be willing if you are not willing and you belong to the Lord the trials still come you just don't fare as well you end up complaining you get really emotive your anger just rises to the top how come this always happens to me why doesn't it happen to somebody else? Everything's going wrong in my life, but I don't see you having the same problem. Everybody has problems. 
Everybody. There's not one of you in here that probably hasn't had something to deal with this last week. Maybe even this morning when you were getting up, it was a trial to even get here. I don't know how it works for you, but God picks your trials just for you. They're presents. You get to open them up and say, aren't you happy? And you go, no. And he goes, hey, I'm going to deliver you. It's going to be okay. You're going to love this. At the end of it, you're going to rejoice. You're going to say how good God is. And so that's the lesson that we get here from chapter 15. Now, as we go into chapter 16, they end up getting the bread, the manna, and they're starving and, you know, better to have leeks and onions and all of that. And it goes into uh, Numbers chapter 11 and the mixed group there, they were complaining. And we just see this over and over. And God wants us to have this message over and over and over. Are we getting it? It's like, don't complain. Just give your whole life to it. It'll be easier if you walk in joy instead of despair. So my prayer for you is that you just say, okay, God, I'm going to submit to you. It's hard. It's difficult. You know, I have to deal with people. I have to talk with them. I have to minister to them. And I need to minister to myself. Well, if you minister to others, you are ministering to yourself. You are giving of your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength to the Lord as you give it to the people. That's what God calls us to. Don't be like the Israelites. Don't fail to trust God that he will bring you through these difficult times. Let's pray. Father, we again give you thanks for the Israelites and their example and how they broke out into worship. Help us to just posit that one, deposit that one in our hearts. That as we see you move, as we see you provide, as we see you take care of ourselves and others, that we turn to you, give you thanks, rejoice, understand that our help comes from you, the Lord, the maker of all things. And Father, as we persevere in this life, we know that things can get worse for us. But help us to trust in you even more. In Jesus' name, amen.